Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Hans Sperling. Hans Sperling is the founder and principal of Sperling Law Corporation, a leading law firm that helps businesses close the best deals while also protecting their legal interests. They have represented hundreds of small and billion-dollar companies in a wide range of business transactions, including M&A and joint ventures, intellectual property protection, and general corporate matters. Hans has 20-plus years' experience in corporate law and spent his first seven years as an attorney in Japan working on large and complex international business deals. He graduated with honors from Tulane Law School, where he was senior managing editor of the Tulane Maritime Law Journal. Before law school, he worked at the Organization for Economic Corporation and Development, OECD Environment Directorate in Paris, helping implement a major multilateral treaty. Welcome, Hans. Thank you. Great to be here. It's Hans, right? Hans, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I mispronounced that. Worries. How Either are way. you today? Good, good. Yeah, how about you? I'm glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, so you, you look like, you know, you have done a lot of great things in the legal side of things. How did you get into this niche specific to business? Yeah, I, I got out of law school and started working. And at that time, I didn't know so much about business. I'd taken a couple business law courses or a few in law school, but that's the work that started coming because I wanted to do international stuff. I went to uh, Tokyo and I can't go into court in Tokyo because I'm Oh, you don't have you. Can you get the bar though? Not at that time. I couldn't in Japan. Oh. They do have a bar for foreign attorneys. But I was brand new, and you had to have a certain amount of experience to get that. Mm -hmm. But you're allowed to work there if you're working for Japanese lawyers, if you're yeah, joined. an employee lawyer and associated the partners oh. or Japanese. Okay. That's why I could work there. But I couldn't go into court in Japan. Anyway, I didn't speak Japanese or know Japanese laws. Yeah. I tended to get these business deals and that kind of work. And I found that I really liked it. I liked working with the business people. And I liked that, you know, obviously, there's some negotiation that can be confrontational. But it's not the same as litigation, which is basically fighting over money at the end of the day. So I just found that I liked it and I liked learning about how all these different business deals work. And so I just kept going that way. So the billion dollar deals, like they must be a lot more complex than the small business, correct? Like, is it just you working on it or you have to bring other people in? Yeah, it depends. The big deals were... 10, 15 lawyers sometimes when I was at a larger firm. But a lot of times, funnily enough, they can be more complex, but sometimes not terribly. Like those ones oh, were that I was talking about. Interesting. And not proportionately. It's because yeah, they're yeah. worth 100 times more, it doesn't make them 100 times more complex. Okay, yeah. Maybe five times more complex or even two yeah. times. Depends on the deal. Or a lot of times they might not exactly be complex. They're just bigger. Like there's just more work mm. to do. So for example, when you buy a company, you do due diligence, which legal due diligence means we go through all of their contracts and all their legal documents. And obviously, if you're buying a bigger company or a bigger asset, then there's just much more stuff to go through. So it takes yeah. a 
Yeah, and do you have do you actually deal with partnership stuff too? I guess you do, right? Like within a corporation, if there's more than one partnerships, do you work on protecting each of the partners? Yeah, we don't do a lot of partnerships, mainly because a partnership, a you know, kind of true what we call a general partnership, the partners are each a hundred percent liable for the liabilities of the partnership. So they're actually very risky. We usually do an LC, limited liability company, instead of a partnership. Those kind of companies essentially descend from, they evolved out of partnerships, but they give you liability protection or a corporation. Uh, and whether you represent the individual, say, partners or shareholders, or they're called members in an LC, in a limited liability company, it depends. If they're really different parties, we sometimes can't because they're it would be a conflict of interest. But sometimes it's like one person or a couple of people, and you're actually maybe representing the corporation or you're representing one of them. So it's a little tricky that way, who you're representing. But in different deals, you represent different sides. But in the same deal, you have to be careful because of the conflict of interest rules. Do you find that there's a lot more of these mergers and acquisitions since COVID? Do you see an incline or a decline? If anything, a decline, maybe a little mm. decline. I think there is just less business generally. And people were probably waiting. A lot of these deals are big deals that people, they don't want to do it in a time of uncertainty. They almost never feel certain enough to really want to do it. But certainly in a COVID situation. <clears throat> now, the other thing, though, is you can have mergers and acquisitions because the market is going bad. Yeah. Companies are maybe selling off a subsidiary because they can't afford it or whatever. Someone else is buying it and other companies buying it. You have those too, but I've not seen a pickup in those that matches, I think, a little drop off in the, in the ones that you generally get in a better economy. Are you guys working on specific industries or it doesn't really matter? It doesn't really matter. If anything, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd say... I exclude some industries that are highly specialized, unless I have another lawyer working with me who knows that. For example, a few years ago, I had a couple of doctors who wanted to merge their practices. And it's very interesting. I wish I, I could have done it. But I think at the end of the day, because of the regulatory, their licenses, and even more because of the insurance, in effect, they're heavily regulated by their insurers. Their insurers tell them, what they can and can't do basically. And, and they make a lot of their income comes through their insurers and that's really critical. So they really needed someone who, who's expert in that industry. So sometimes very specific ones, it's better if they get someone really specialized in that industry. But generally I do a really wide range of industries. So is this something that you always wanted to get into? Like growing up, what's the story behind it? Like, how did you choose law? Yeah, I wasn't really sure until college. <laughs> yeah. And I studied international relations in college, and we had to take one class was required in international law. And the guy who taught it was an adjunct, so he's a practicing lawyer. And I really, really found it interesting. So I actually did an independent study with him after to study it more. And I just was attracted to it because. It has the intellectual aspect, obviously, yeah. but it's not 
a PhD where you're really going full academic. Mm -hmm. It's there's a real world, obviously, aspect to it. Like you're operating practical in the world was real. Yeah. So I really like that. But yeah, actually in college, I, I remember I was studying more like political science, international relations. So when I read the paper, I'd read the news, like the straight up news, not the business section so much. And I didn't really understand a lot of the business stuff. They have their own jargon. And, and I remember wondering, like I'd read about a big merger and just knowing nothing about it at that point, before law school even, like how did two companies merge exactly? Like I would think about this, okay, if I'm an employee of one company and it merges with another company, to who am I an employee of now? And how does it all actually work? And it was actually a cool thing when I finished law school and started working on these deals. I got all those questions answered because you see, you look at the contracts yeah, first time. and everything and you have, that's exactly the stuff you're figuring out and deciding yeah. and drafting the agreements. It was almost because before then I didn't know so much about it that made it more interesting. There's like stuff to learn. You know? So is this as a law firm, right? So when you see a deal come in, is there ever a situation, and this might be a dumb question, I'm not sure, but is there ever a situation where you want to get involved as well as, as when you're wearing an entrepreneur hat and you see a really good deal and you say, you know what, oh, I would, can I come in? So is that, <laughs> did that ever happen? Not exactly like that, but I have come same sort of situation for the other angle that someone contacted me and they weren't asking to hire me as a lawyer. They wanted me to be on their advisory board. They were starting oh. a new company. And Gave so, shares. Yeah. Sorry? They were like giving shares for it. So yeah, I was very interested in doing that. That was the only time that, it's the only time that happened that I actually did it. There's been other times yeah. when people ask me to do it, but frankly, the business just didn't seem to, it didn't seem to either have the potential or they didn't, their business plan just didn't strike me as something that, I wanted to take that, put that, mm. invest that into. But there's a little bit of a problem. Again, you can get into conflict of interest issues if you're representing a company and you're also, if you're doing legal work for them and you're also. In yeah. So you have to watch the ethics rules very carefully. But, uh, yeah. but in principle, it's allowed. And Okay, good. So you're open to that then, Hans, if anybody in the audience is looking for someone to add to their board for a company or a startup. They could potentially approach you if they, uh, you're open yeah. to that. Basically. Yeah, okay. definitely. Now, whether I could do that and do legal work, strictly speaking for them at the same time is a little trickier. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. Of, again, it's open rules. for discussion and review, basically. I'd have to be very careful. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always interested. Yeah. I, in a way, when you do the business deals and you do the contracts and in a way, things very deeply from a legal <laughs> point of view, but it's <laughs> not the same as a business point of view. The yeah. business people just have a slightly different perspective. And it's really interesting for me to see that. And also, I think it helps me practice law then because I'm better able to see that from their point of view. Sometimes mm. the things are really important legally or lawyers think they're really important. Business people, they're just not interested. And by the same token, there's stuff they can be really concerned about. And if you don't know how to look at it from their point of view, you want to tell them, man, it's not really that important legally. We shouldn't spend that much time. If you're sensitive to what is important to them, that's important, right? That it makes them happy, yeah. makes them comfortable. Yeah. So I think that kind of thing is really helpful. That's one of the reasons I enjoy those sorts of things. 
Yeah, very good. Very good, Hans. When it comes to corporate law, what would you find as the most, most underlooked situation in businesses that they should be paying attention to? And they're not. There's a lot of small businesses, large businesses. There are certain aspects of their business. They say, ah, I don't need to. I don't need to worry about that. That's okay. So what is going to happen? Like there must yeah. be that some kind of knowledge yeah. you can share with the audience. And listen, guys, this is the common one. You got to watch out. Make sure you do this and that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two things. Uh, huh. It's actually a really good question. I was just talking with someone about Thank this you. kind of thing yesterday. The first thing is especially small companies, entrepreneur startups. A lot of times they don't have a lot of money, especially at the very beginning. And the last thing they really want to do is spend it on, on legal stuff, frankly. And yep. uh, they just see that as a cost point, not a mm -hmm. revenue point. And, uh, and so they'll set up the company. Maybe they'll use some kind of internet service or whatever, or they'll try to do it themselves. Like I, I understand their financial situation, their constraints. I would really urge them to you know, find someone, not necessarily me, maybe me, maybe someone else, at least try to get, probably get it for free, our consultation to point things out, make sure that they understand if they really can't afford to get that help upfront, then get it as soon as possible. I think what often happens is they can't afford it upfront and they say, well, as soon as we get some money in, then we'll do it. We'll have someone come in. As soon as. Exactly. Exactly. But the money comes in, but then they need it for other stuff. Yeah. Know? As soon as. <laughs> right. It's really important. Even if it's been a few years and you think it's too late now, I may as well. We have the money now, but I would still have someone go back. And it might be, you know, frankly, not that much fun because you're paying for this legal work that on the surface, you don't necessarily see what the benefit is. Yeah. But the reasons, like we're talking about partnerships, you can really take on a lot of risk you're completely unaware of. There's something we call an accidental general partnership. So what that means is, let's say two people get together and they start doing business and they don't do anything legally, they don't form a corporation or anything like that. They don't know it, but they're partners, they're general partners under the law because the law sees it or a judge would see it like you have to be something. Like I have to know how to treat you legally. So I have to know what category to put you in. And if you didn't establish a corporation, that's clear because you didn't file the paperwork or an LLC, limits liability company. So by default, you have to be a, you have to be a general partnership if there's more than one person. And uh, the problem with those is what we call joint and several liability, which means each partner is completely financially legally responsible for the partnership. And even if the other partner goes and does something, you don't even know about it maybe, but it's something that has to do with the business, you can be fully liable for that. So I know a story of a couple of dentists who went in and they really meant it as a sharing resources, rent one office, but they had some kind of fee sharing arrangement where I guess they each got a certain minimal amount. And then after that, they got according to how much they individually did, something like that. I didn't know all the details on that particular one, but one of them ended up having a problem with substance abuse and addiction and wasted all this money. And the other one ended up being liable for a lot of it. If they had set up whatever the appropriate corporation or LC, they could have avoided that. So that kind of thing, 
I think is really important. Even if five years have gone by and you're like, ah, it's worked so far, it really can save a lot of heartache. It's not hundred percent. It's like anything. Sometimes it doesn't work. For example, if you, if the company borrows money, it's a small company from a bank, the bank's going to make the, the shareholders sign a guarantee, which makes them liable for that. But mm. that's just the loan. That's not maybe a lawsuit or some other liability. Yeah. Hans, I want to ask you in that scenario about the partnership, right? What if there's two partners that go and they start a startup, for example, right? And one of the partners, one of the partners along the way, say it's a software product, right? So they're trying to launch a software product. The one person is the idea man providing the developers what to create. The other one is a silent, just the money investing, right? And it just time keeps going. They're not launching. And then the investor, the one that's investing and the finds out the idea man did some unethical things. Mm -hmm. So there's a corporation formed. Mm -hmm. The main key man is doing some unethical things that the one that's investing doesn't feel comfortable because they feel like something could go wrong in the future and they'll be liable. Mm -hmm. They get scared, you know, they get worried. Yeah. And they just want to get out. What would they do? Hmm. A lot of it's going to come down to, again, hopefully they set up a corporation. And there's, have, yeah, corporation. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we'll have, if it's a corporation, a shareholder agreement, or if it's an LLC, yeah, shareholder LLC's agreement, have an operating agreement. And usually in their provisions for if someone is basically doing something illegal or unethical or something like so that. So it says, so in a shareholders agreement, Hans, it will say, for example, we could put the code in trust. So just to protect before this is clear, we could put the code in trust so it's not accessible by either partners, right? So nobody can go in and continue on creating it because of that issue that came up. And then one of the partners puts it in a trust, just following whatever's in the shareholders agreement. You could do it that way. But actually, if you set up the corporation, the way I would do it is that the intellectual property, so the code, immediately becomes the property of the corporation and the individual shareholders, even the one who wrote it, basically loses their rights. It transfers over the corporation so that then if there's a problem with them, let's say you have to push them out. And by the way, even if there's not something in the agreement to let you push out someone doing something unethical, if you have a, an LLC or a corporation People have what we call duties, duties of loyalty, duties of yeah. the company. General. And so, and so you have those rights also that can help you push someone out. But so let's say you push that person out, but the rights to the intellectual property stay with the corporation. Now, of course, you also can have the issue of even though you have the legal rights, they may be kept a copy and maybe they'll use it. Yeah. So then the trick is enforcement. Like how do you find out? that they're using it, probably you'd find out when competing software comes out, but then you yeah. have the right to say, oh, this guy used intellectual property that didn't belong to him or her anymore. Yeah. I don't remember ever putting it in a trust like that. I suppose you could. And then once you resolved it legally, probably in a lawsuit, then it would decide who actually gets possession. But I would think even then it's tricky because my guess is the person who wrote it is going to keep a copy. 
Yeah. And the other one, these are very interesting stories and interesting situations that people go, because everybody has a desire to create something or everybody has a desire to make people's lives better, to, to launch something. But sometimes their intentions are always good between people, but there's things that come up. I don't know. It's just the thought patterns or what happens. They start shifting and then it gets ugly. In that case, the other person, for example, the investor would just, they could even close the corporation just to protect them. So in case that other person might do anything else in the future that could damage that investor's name. Yeah, possibly. In terms of closing the corporation, depends what everyone's rights are and who owns parts of the corporation, if you can actually close it out. But definitely having the structure of the corporation helps you yeah. um, if you're in that position where you're the one who's on the wrong end of the receiving end of that, because people do have legal, legally enforceable responsibilities to the corporation and maybe even to the shareholders of the corporation. So you have shareholders legal, agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just by operation of the law as well. Yeah. But then again, this is one of these things that when you set it up, um, you want to make all these things clear. For example, maybe you have some sort of agreement with that person because their capacity, let's say developing software, is not necessarily the same as their capacity as, let's say, they're also a shareholder. Developing the software, maybe you can have a separate contract. They're doing it under that yeah. contract. And then there, you would put a provision to make sure that ownership of that intellectual property goes to the corporation. Very good, Hans. You know, this is interesting. By law, it'll do something on its own, but it's always better if you also have a contract. Because if you ever have to sue, that's going to be one more paragraph in your legal complaint that says they agreed under this contract that belongs to the corporation. The more that's set up, the cleaner it is if there's a problem. But, mm. but you're absolutely right. I, it's just the old thing that when there's money involved, sometimes people change. And the funny thing I yeah. find about that is there can be problems when there's not enough money. So they start the venture and it's not profitable and people start to jump ship basically. And everyone wants their spot in the life raft or everyone wants to get out before they get a hit with a loss. But also it tends to happen when they make too much money. You know, suddenly everyone's making more money than they expected and, and they get greedy. They're yeah, kind of happy no, it's totally... on both ends. Yeah, true, Hans. Very good. It was, it was great talking to you about this stuff. You definitely sound like a person that has a lot of experience and knowledge around legal corporate law and mergers and acquisitions. I wanted to ask you another question is that what do you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in your life? Huh? I guess I like analyzing things. And I think it's not even that common among lawyers, people who actually like sitting and really getting into something deeply and thinking about what the problems are going to be um, and not just doing it pro forma or doing it without trying to really think it through and enjoying learning about it. Like even after 20 years, there's always something to learn. You can get a deal come in and on the face of it, it looks very kind of plain vanilla nothing really interesting. Yeah. If it's work, you know, fine, great. That's good. And then you get into it and there's some little wrinkle, some little angle yeah. that, uh, that you learn from. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. 
That's great, Hans, because as a client, for example, if somebody wants to work with you, that is a very important point. So thank you for sharing that because sure. we want a lawyer to actually get in there and get into the details. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much, Hans, for taking the time to come on the show. Appreciate you very much, and especially for what you're doing and how you're helping people you. and making transactions cleaner. That's great. Thank you. And audience, Thanks no for problem. Me on. Really enjoyed talking no with problem. you. My pleasure. And audience, thank you once again for joining us for our episode today. And we do enjoy the fact that you guys engage with our episodes and you share and send us reviews. We love them. And like I always say in every episode, we can't grow without you guys. And it's definitely feeling like a big family and is growing. So thank you again. And thank you everyone in the audience. And thank you, Hans. Thank you.